Welcome to episode 11 of I Quit Blank and Started Running, a podcast featuring people who turn to running as a way to overcome a particular challenge in their lives. Join me each week as I share inspiring stories of where they started, what it was that made them want to change, how running factored in, and where they are today. I'm your host, Antonia De Heinrich, and I'm excited to let you know that my podcast is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts, which is probably where you are listening today. If you haven't yet subscribed, I'll be internally grateful if you do, and when you get a chance, please leave me a rating and review as well. It would mean the world to me and my amazing guests who are all willing to share their stories with you. My guest today is Jake. He's 27 years old and up until recently has battled with alcoholism fueled by anxiety that, according to him, was most likely related to his abusive childhood. Even from an early age, he was always enjoyed exercise as a way to catch a break from the volatile home situation and cope with the stress that came with it. But it wasn't until recently that he discovered the healing benefits of running. There's a kind of this threshold you have to cross, I feel like, where running goes from being really hard all the time to you can actually enjoy it. And when I got past that, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. He goes on to describe this moment he recently experienced, which, to me, sounds like somewhat of a spiritual awakening. I just one day, I was like, I broke down crying, and I was like, this is unreal. Um, like, I, you know, I don't cry very often, and I was in the middle of a training run, and I just, I sat up the side of the lake, and I was just crying. I was like, this is the best feeling in the world. I think most of us can relate to that feeling Jake was talking about. But let's have him tell the whole story. Good morning, Jake. How are you? Good morning. I'm really well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me this morning at our um, I Quit Blanks Started Running uh, podcast episode 11. Let's uh, jump in with a quick introduction. What's your name? Where are you from? And what do you do? Okay, my name is Jake Beck. I am from, I'm originally from uh, Wasaga Beach in Canada, but now I live in Hanoi, uh, Vietnam. And I'm an ESL teacher and a freelance web developer. Very cool. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, how you ended up in Vietnam. But so you're a runner now. When was your most recent run and how did it go? Uh, yeah, I would I would call myself a runner now. I'm uh, my most recent run was this morning. Uh, it was six uh, k, six kilometers, just a regular training run, and it was pretty good. Just running for thirty minutes basically, and I ended up going six k. A little bit wet. <laughs> yeah, I saw that it was raining. Um, yeah, I guess it's is it the rainy season right now in in Hanoi in Vietnam? Yeah, I think most of August it's a bit. Uh, thunderstorms and rain so it's just a little bit of extra challenge to get out there but it's it's all still all good yeah well good for you for still getting out there <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. all right well let's uh let's jump in shall we okay. uh let's go back to when it all started when you go you got into exercise at a quite an early age so you even went to college to study exercise science so why don't you tell us about your childhood your family life and how you got into exercise and what happened that got you off track. Okay, so um, I'm 27 now, but um, 
I probably started going to the gym when I was around 15 or 16, I think, uh, with my older brother, Matt. Um, we grew up in kind of a wild family. We had, uh, like, my parents got divorced when I was three, I think. And my mom got in a relationship with uh, an alcoholic. So I had a kind of an alcoholic stepdad, and she was also a little bit of an alcoholic herself. And so that was a bit hard to grow up around. Luckily, I had my father who I went to see every, every second weekend. And just kind of to get out of the house, I guess, we would go, when we were teenagers, we would go to the gym and just lift weights. And that kind of like sparked an interest in fitness for me. And yeah, I guess I kind of, I've never stopped being into fitness, but I kind of get into some other stuff that, that, that threw me off the track. But uh, yeah, it was a difficult life growing up. Um, but I'm very glad that I had my brother to take me to the gym and kind of, I guess, uh, just distract me <laughs> using weights, you know? Yeah, no, it's a good good way to get out of the house and out of that situation for sure. Yeah. So your your interest in in exercise even put you on a college track to to study exercise science, right? Yeah. So the college was kind of a non. I, I kind of had to go. It was kind of ingrained in me that I had to go to college. So uh, that was what I was most interested in, and uh, I thought I could get a degree in exercise science, so in kinesiology. So I ended up going to a place in London, Ontario. It's called um, Western. Uh, it was University of Western Ontario. And for kinesiology, like a four-year degree. And um, I ended up not finishing that degree, actually. But um, it was an amazing course. Like, I wish I can go back and finish it now because I really, really enjoyed it while I was there. <laughs> So what happened? What you you said you didn't finish? Um, did what ended up happening? You dropped out. Yeah. So I, my grades were so bad from not attending classes. I kind of uh, gave up fitness and and studying for partying and for drinking and uh, kind of without even realizing it, I guess. Um, but I started to get all this anxiety from having to attend class, and I would. I think it goes back to my childhood and kind of I was thinking that I, I couldn't meet the expectations that were kind of put on me. So I, I ended up dropping out of, out of college uh, because I was on academic probation. And they said, like, you know, you have one year to get your, your, to get your grades up, to get your stuff together. And I couldn't do it. I was just partying with my, all my friends too much and drinking almost every day, just kind of as a way to get out of my head, I guess. So I ended up uh, kind of breaking down and I, I, I called my dad, who has always been very supportive, but I had been lying to for a while about being in school. Uh, so I had dropped out of college and I called him and I said, look, for the last year or so, I've actually just been partying and going to work. I was also working at McDonald's at the time, <laughs> like in my free time when I wasn't drunk, I guess trying to make it seem like I was still in school so that he wouldn't be disappointed in, or so that my whole family wouldn't be disappointed in me. And I just kind of broke down and I was like, this is, this is the truth. I have been just been partying the last year or so and the entire time I was at university as well. And so I ended up going to live with my brother 
and he was super super inviting he's always been like one of the most supportive people in my life and he got me a job uh, he worked at a bar as a bartender at the time and i ended up working as a bar back just helping him out a really popular kind of ski town where he lives and so that kind of spiraled out of control as well where i went to live with him to get out of this party lifestyle and i ended up getting back into it uh, almost i guess even worse i would say did he realize um what kind of situation you were in or did I, he think that you know under his sort of eye it would it would get better yeah i think he was you know he was doing his best as an older brother to be a good influence on me and I, I think even if he did know, he didn't really want to say anything. He just, just out of, you know, he's just a very nice guy, very nice person. And I don't think he knew what was going on to the extent that it was. Like I was, I ended up starting to drink every day, going to work drunk, uh, you know, skipping work, hiding alcohol. And it's, I think as soon as you start hiding your drinking, that's when you know that you've got an issue more than just, you know, you like to party. If you're hiding your drinking, you know that you have a, a problem and uh, he didn't realize that i don't think but you did you it became clear to you that you were starting to hide drinking and that you were starting on this potentially dangerous path yes yeah, so i was i was bringing i was packing my backpack with with vodka and i was bringing it to work and i was like sneaking into the bathroom of the bar to drink while i was working because i, I just had this this insane anxiety where i didn't want to deal with life as a, like as a sort like a normal sober person you know and so i i didn't want to admit it to myself but i definitely had a problem even in university i think it, it was clear that i had an issue yeah. yeah how old were you at this point i think i was 20 around 20 wow so how long did you end up working at that bar with your brother? I think I worked there for about two years, maybe one and a half years or so, living with him the whole time. And um, I ended up getting fired. They never gave me a reason why I was fired, but I, I'm quite sure it was because everybody knew I was drunk on the job, even though I thought I was very good at hiding it. Um, that was one of the reasons that I drank vodka. Also, I was still sometimes going to the gym half drunk and i you know i thought vodka is the least obvious drink you can have i don't know it's it doesn't smell like beer or something you know and at, but you know at the worst i was drinking about 30 ounces a day of vodka and it's not cheap in canada it's not uh really accessible but i was somehow finding a way to drink 30 ounces of vodka every day and that lasted about two years it's a big choice for alcoholics. And also because for me, like in my insane mind, I was thinking like, okay, if I'm, if I want to be fit, I, this, this has the least calories out of any drink, you know, like this is not a beer. This is a shot of vodka is like 90 calories. And I was still trying to track my, but I was just, I wasn't even eating anything properly. I was just drinking. Wow. So, okay. So this leads me to my next question. There was a distinct event that occurred I think you were 23, you said, which completely changed your downward spiral. Can you tell us what that was? Uh, yeah, so at this, around 22 or 23, I was um, 
at the point where I was fired, I was just laying in bed, basically in my brother's spare bedroom. Um, and he was still working full time, very busy uh, with a girlfriend and everything. So I woke up one night and I was at the point of my alcoholism where I th- basically, if I didn't drink for one day, I would have extreme withdrawal, like started to shake and all this. And uh, I woke up and I was really painful. My side, my abdomen was really painful. And I was like, what is this kind of weird pain? And I just was like, oh, it's probably withdrawal. I need to drink more. Um, And I think I woke up. Well, I can't remember one time I woke up, but I I was awake for like six or seven hours trying to find out why I was hurting so bad. And I was drinking vodka this whole time. And finally, even like with the amount that I was drinking, it was so painful that I, I just called an ambulance. And I, I, I said, like, I need you guys to come pick me up because there's something wrong with my stomach. But please don't come with the lights on or with like super loud or anything because I don't want my brother to wake up and find out this kind of thing that he probably already knows you know like that his brother's an alcoholic and um i could have just asked him to call, to bring me to the hospital and i'm sure he would have of course he would have but you know i was trying to be sneaky and so i called the ambulance and i said look just come quietly i'll come meet you outside and uh, i need to go to the hospital right away because something is wrong and so i got to the hospital i went to er to the emergency room and they said like you need to they did some tests i think and did some blood tests and a doctor came and he was like you have pancreatitis which is uh basically a disease reserved for long time alcoholics i would say like maybe 30 or 40 years of drinking you generally get this disease and i was 20 yeah 23 so I spent two weeks in the hospital. And at that point, I kind of had to uh, let it slip to everybody that I was what was going on kind of for the past two years. And so I called my dad and I called my brother uh, the day after that I got to the hospital. And I said, look, here's what's here's where I am, first of all, to my brother. Uh, and the, the doctor came in and he said, it's a good thing that you called because uh, if you kept drinking, like thinking that it was withdrawals, if you didn't call the ambulance, if you kept drinking for the next two or three days, I think he said you would have probably died, most likely have died because the pancreas shuts down and then the rest of the body kind of follows all the organs rely on the pancreas. So you're kind of, you're kind of screwed and the pancreas can't fix itself like some of your other organs can. So wow, yeah, it was, it was a kind of a serious uh, I'm looking back now, like I can joke about it, but it was, it was not a joke. And I didn't realize it at the time, how serious it was. Um, but luckily I, 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 for some reason called that ambulance because normally I wouldn't have done that. You know, I would have just thought, oh, this, this will go away or something like that. Yeah. So let's call it your guardian angel told yeah. you to yeah. call the ambulance. Wow. Okay. So what happened after that? So you were in the hospital for two weeks and then did you go live back with your brother or what, what happened? Yeah. So I, I was in the hospital for two weeks and there was, I couldn't, I mean, I don't really want to get into the details, but I, I just, basically my body wasn't functioning. So I was on an IV and I couldn't eat or 
drink, couldn't go to the bathroom. And they thought, okay, we're going to have to do surgery on your pancreas. And luckily, it, it somehow got better after not eating or anything for a couple of weeks. Uh, so I just had like this IV. And my, my dad, when I talked to my dad, he asked me to come join him. He was a truck driver. He still is. He's been a truck driver for almost, I think, over 30 years now. And he said, look, you can... You can come, you can go back and live with your brother, or you can come and hang out with me in the truck, just drive around with me. And then I ended up living with him. Uh, so I lived with him from, yeah, 22 or 23 till I was the end of, yeah, I think maybe about two years I lived with him. And yeah, it started out good. It started out as me being sober and, and working, I found a job at a pizza restaurant and I ended up managing the pizza restaurant. And then I slowly started drinking again, even after all these warnings that I shouldn't. Uh, but, you know, it's as an alcoholic, you kind of, it kind of grips you. And it's, if you don't know why you're drinking it, it, there's no real escape, I would say. Yeah, and you and you and you're working in a restaurant again. So yeah, it's just there, right? Yeah, it's it was a stressful job. I was working eleven hour days, six days a week, managing this this place, and uh, I loved the people that worked there, and I loved the job. Um, I love like high, uh, super fast paced work and this kind of thing. But but I but still, I was you know every day I would drive past the liquor store, and I would just one day I I picked up some vodka and I was hiding it again and it all started again <laughs> did uh you end up back in the hospital or what happened so i didn't i actually I, I did end up back in the hospital at one point uh because i had some more pain and so i had to admit that i was drinking again and uh, the doctor was like look you had you you really this is a different doctor now and a different hospital different city <laughs> and he's like you really really need to take this seriously and i thought you know i'm young i i feel like i am taking it seriously but obviously i'm not and uh, like looking back i was clearly not taking it seriously and he said every time you drink it's like uh, playing russian roulette so you're basically loading a gun with one bullet and there's a chance that your pancreas could shut down anytime you drink so i that kind of hit me a little bit so i called a detox clinic I, like this kind of free hospital where you can go and stay if you're an addict and they can help you get off whatever drug that you're on and they'll they do it for free in Canada which is very very good very I'm very grateful for this place um, and I went there for a week or a week and a half and I think I was talking to one of the counselors and she just asked me to stay for the rehab program and so I did um, 30 days in rehab, which was six people living at the place. I had a roommate. Um, my roommate was also an alcoholic. He was like a, also, I think, some other drugs. But, you know, everybody was on something or, or, or addicted to something. And we were all just trying to find out how to get better. And that was probably one of the best things that I ever did was, was go to the rehab because it kind of taught me a lot about myself and a lot about my childhood and why 
I think why I grew up thinking the way that I thought and why I had this anxiety and why I was drinking all the time. And yeah, it's just uh, that 30 days in rehab really changed, uh, I think, the trajectory of my life a lot. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think what you said earlier, you can't heal yourself if you don't know why you're doing something to yourself, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it that was what it was, was I just, you know, I, I thought I was a normal kid, like in college partying, but I would always just take it a bit further than all my peers. And I was like, and I knew it was there. I knew it was like kind of living inside me, but I didn't know why that was there. And rehab kind of brings that out of you. But so you come out of rehab, you continued working for the pizza place, right? Yeah. So I can't, so they let me go for a month and they said, look, do what you need to do, get better because we want you to keep working. You know, I was, I was always trying to be a good employee. I always like my whole working life. I, I pride myself on being a good employee. So, you know, even if I'm drunk at the job, I was, I was still trying to do a good job. So they asked me to come back and I was, I kept working there, saving money, but something was like, I was just itching. You know, I didn't want to manage a pizza restaurant as a, as a 20 something year old, I was just itching to go. So I, I ended up booking a flight to, to Bangkok, to Thailand about three years ago, I would say. You wanted to travel. Is that what, is that why you you booked the trip to Bangkok? I'm assuming. Yeah, I just, I, I, I was reading about solo traveling and solo backpacking and I kind of had itchy feet, like living with my dad in my twenties. I was, you know, I was just feeling like I'm missing something. I don't know what it was, but, and it wasn't alcohol at this point. I was, I was sober for over a year, I think at this point. And I was just like kind of doing the same thing every day, working six hours or 11 hours a day, six days a week. And I was just itching to do something else. And so I told my dad and I told my family, like, look, I'm saving for this trip. I'm going to leave in uh, close to my birthday of this, I think, uh, 2017. And I booked the ticket and it was like the scariest moment of my life. <laughs> but I booked it and then I left and it was uh, it was amazing. So I, I backpacked through uh, Thailand, Laos and Vietnam. I, I actually rode a motorbike through Vietnam, which was an amazing experience. And then I ended up flying back to Hanoi, where I started the motorbike trip, and I've been living here ever since. So you had a, you had a return ticket, right? And you just said, nope, not taking that flight back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a scary moment, because I didn't really have the funds to, to sustain um, life in Vietnam, you know? So I, the return ticket was in April, it was just about like a two month or three month backpacking trip I was planning. And I, f I just fell in love with the country and, and just the kind of like alternative lifestyle. It was, it wasn't working 11 hours a day, six days a week and doing something that I didn't like. I was like exploring, finding new places, making a lot of new friends that before I was like scared to go out and make. And so I, yeah, that, that day, I think it was uh, April 20th, 2017. I still remember. And I just skipped it. <laughs> I skipped the flight. So I was actually supposed to be in Bangkok on that date and I was still in Hanoi. And so I just kind of uh, 
winged it from there, but it all worked out. I mean, uh, um, I got a teaching certificate and I had enough money to kind of set up interviews and, and uh, work my way through uh, like learning how to teach English uh, as, a, like a, as a second language and got an apartment and yeah it, it, it somehow i mean it was the best decision that i ever made but it i was lucky i would say yeah lucky or you know again some guidance from somewhere maybe yeah. <laughs> that told you not to take that flight and to start your life on your own somewhere else you know wherever it may be and and now you're teaching english you also taught yourself how to code right yeah so uh, so throughout my English teaching, like over the past three years, I taught myself how to code just using the internet and kind of YouTube and different uh, online courses. And I started my own, my own uh, web development business and like freelance website building. And I've been doing that for the past two years now. Yeah. And you can do that from anywhere. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it's really, it's, it's exactly what I want to be doing right now. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful that I didn't get on that plane back home. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about how you got into running and or back into fitness. Let's start there. And then, and then how did you get into running and how did that sort of change your perspective? Okay. So, um, as I was backpacking through, through, uh, Asia, I, you're kind of like eating, just whatever you find it's really not uh, a healthy lifestyle like it's I mean you, you, you're really active and you're walking a lot but you know I was like I maybe found a couple gyms in Thailand to lift weights and I found a couple gyms in Laos like just really you know backyard gyms and it was I don't know I was I was like kind of really wanting some some fitness back in my life so I when I when I actually got an apartment and everything and settled down in Vietnam, I I signed up for gym, started lifting again, and then I I think last year I read this book by a guy named David Goggins and it's called Can't Hurt Me, and his life story and my life story have a few parallels and I mean he's he was a Navy SEAL and he had this insane kind of trajectory, but it it just kind of showed me like, like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but the, the parallels were there. And I was like, you know, what am I doing? Kind of just half-assing this, this fitness thing. I really love, this is what I love to do. So I got really seriously into it. And uh, on New Year's Day of 2020, I was on the beach on a vacation. And uh, I just spur of the moment ran a half marathon on the beach. And I hadn't done much running before that. So that was really, I don't know. I kind of, I filmed it like I was like kind of a vlog style. I didn't show anybody this vlog, but it was kind of just for me, you know. And I filmed this, this half marathon on the beach and I tracked it with my phone. So I was running with my phone in my hand the whole time. And it was really, really bare bones, I guess. But, you know, no training or anything. And it felt when I finished that, that was like, okay, if I can run 21 kilometers with no training, like what else, what else is possible with running? Because I had never been into running before really. 
and as a bodybuilder you always you always hear like running running will running will hurt you running was not good for you in the long run no pun intended but uh i heard all this stuff and i so i never got into it and then yeah that that morning i just woke up and i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna run a half marathon and i did and then ever since then i kind of just went for casual runs um back in hanoi and uh in may of this year i did this kind of a challenge so if anybody knows about crossfit there's this thing called murph um from it was one of the lieutenants in the uh navy seals his name was michael murphy and he had a his favorite workout it was a 1 mile run uh 100 pull-ups 200 push-ups 300 squats with another 1 mile run at the end with a 20 pound weight vest on and so my goal was to do this challenge uh every day of may uh to do this murph workout every day in may so for 31 days i did this with a couple other guys that i knew um and it was it was really really difficult to wake up every day and and do this murph but yeah (laughs) but i found that the best part was running and it was uh because you'd run this one mile and the whole goal of Murph is to see, you know, how fast can you get it done? And kind of as a bodybuilder, you like, I was used to the pull-ups and push-ups and squats, but the running was the hardest part. And I saw my times like increasing as I was running with this weight vest on. And it just, it got kind of, I think part of that addictive nature of, you know, just, I think all addicts have the same kind of feeling where you kind of, you you get the the sense of something's working or i mean not working with the case of alcohol but with with running it was like look i'm i'm improving and i can see that i'm improving every single day and some days were bad of course but at the end of the 31 days i think i had cut my run time down at least like a minute or two i don't know what the final time was but i know my first murph was over an hour and my last murph was like 40 minutes or something so wow i was going to ask how long I mean, I can't do a pull-up to save my life, so I will probably <laughs> not be able to do the Murph the way it is written, but I could probably modify, but I would have no idea how long it would take me. Yeah, I think generally, I mean, you're aiming for like an hour because you can split it up. So you can do five pull-ups and, and 10 push-ups, 15 squats, and do like 20 sets of that. And that's what I was doing most of the time. But sometimes we would like, we would play around and we would say, hey, let's today do hundred pull-ups in a row and so those times would obviously be worse but but mostly the run it was the run was the because you start with the run and you end with the run and that final run after doing 300 squats is it's grueling but it yeah. was like it was uh i don't know uh this guy david goggins he also talks a lot about suffering and how you have to suffer in order to grow and that was just playing through my head the whole time and it was yeah, it was it was amazing. That that Murph challenge was amazing. Are you gonna do it again? Do you think for a month or, I mean? Uh, yeah, we've got we've actually got plans to do it next year, next May as well, Murph May, and we get the guys in the Facebook group all the time saying, "Oh, I miss the Murph, I miss Murph challenge." Or, I think a couple of days ago somebody posted, "Okay, I'm gonna do 15 Murph this month just to make up for, you know, I missed it." It's a uh, I th- I think we're a bit nuts, but it's also, it's, it's a great time. No, I understand. I mean, I, I wasn't to CrossFit. I mean, I think I still would be, 
Um, I just stopped because I went to more of the endurance stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah. but I love CrossFit, so I I I can see that competitive and sort of addictive nature, you know, being fueled by CrossFit a little bit. Yeah, and also with with five other guys, you kind of you gotta hold yourself accountable kind of and 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 every day we would post our times and give congrats to everybody if they broke a personal best or something so it was it was a really really kind of motivating month yeah gotcha yeah no i as i said i can i can relate so okay you did you ran 13 miles on the beach on new year's uh day then you did the murph challenge and you loved the running part and then there was another book that you told me sort of inspired you on the running part. Yeah. So um, after I did the Murph challenge, I was thinking, okay, so I want to get into running more. And I ended up reading uh, Finding Ultra by Rich Roll. And I also read a one called Born to Run by uh, Christopher McDougall, I think his name is. Uh, but Finding Ultra really got me hooked kind of on running and like really hooked on running just the way he talks about it um he and he's quite an old guy and he's also has a past like a history of alcoholism so i kind of connected with him as well and uh i signed up for a half marathon which was july 12th i think and at this point it was the end of may and i was my like you know my longest run was that half marathon on new year's day and I thought, okay, so if I did it, then I can probably do it again. And I kind of learned to be humble and because I was running way too much, way too fast. And I had a few injuries and I was thinking, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do, finish this half marathon. Um, but I did. I, I was, it, was, it was tricky, but I trained for all of June and the beginning of July. And... my goal was just to finish the race but my like the ultimate goal was to get sub two hours and i finished the race in 157 which was like one of the greatest feelings i think of my life (laughs) yeah good for you that's a good time for you know your first half marathon race (laughs) different yeah thank you no it's it was uh i i know it's not like a competitive time but i was thinking like I don't know. It was, for me, it was really difficult. And I don't know uh, if I did it again, if I would get that time again, but I have been continually training. So I think probably I could do it again if I tried, but it was very difficult. Like the last three or four kilometers, I, I really wanted to quit. And I would like, just, you know, just walk and finish the race. But I had this, you know, sub two hours, sub two hours, sub two hours. And I just was was trying to book it at the end yeah so and and that's the difference between a a competitor and a a runner let's put it that way right first of all i'll tell you the last three or four kilometers of any race are the worst it it doesn't matter even if it's a 5k that last kilometer is the worst and so it's just in your head that you know that you're close to the finish line and something happens either you shut down or you ramp it up exactly yeah. Exactly. And this is like, I, I knew that if I, you know, it's, it's only two hours of your life. And I was like, if I quit now, 
like I'm going to regret this for a long, long time. But if I can just push, you know, for another five minutes, another 10 minutes, I can be, I can actually complete this. And yeah, when I crossed and it was, I looked at my watch, I was like, geez, that was a good feeling. And also the atmosphere at a race. I've never, that was my first race, like my first real race. So that was uh, really exciting. Yeah. I, I really miss that right now. Obviously in the States, we're not able to have actual, you know, in-person races. All yeah. of the races here are virtual. So you having had the opportunity to do this in person is huge and completely agree. The atmosphere at a race is something you can't explain unless you're there. Yeah. It seems insane. Like if, like when I pass it on the, like if I would see a race from afar or from the outside, it seems like, what are all these people? Like, you know, how is this enjoyable? But when you're actually in it, it is, it is really, really, I'm going to say it again. It's addictive. It's really like, it's got this, this energy about it that I I can't explain. I try to explain it to people, but I can't. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, I, I can't wait for races to happen again for us because I'll be the first one to sign up for one and do it (laughs) (laughs) just to get that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, COVID thing. Yeah, I know. So, okay. so you you also had sort of a spiritual moment during one of your training runs. Do you want to tell us about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I think in training for the half marathon, I don't know what my longest run was, but I think this was just a regular, just a basic run, like maybe a 10K or 15K. And I was running the same route that I always ran, same uh, like stretch of the race that I was going to be running anyways. And it was like five in the morning. And I think I just, I hit like this, this point where it wasn't really difficult to run. And I was like, I was pushing myself, but I wasn't really pushing hard. And I was still on pace for the proper, like I was doing the training that I was supposed to be doing and something just kind of happened. And I, I just paused my watch. Of course, you got to pause your watch. And I, I just like leaned on the side of this railing. I was, I was running along this lake that we have in Hanoi here. It's called West Lake. And I leaned on the railing and I just broke down crying. And I was just, uh, I was smiling, but I was just bawling for probably about 10 minutes. And I, I think that was the moment where it was like, you know, I, I kind of realized like, look, everything that happened, it's, it all came to this point. It all like boiled down to this one training run. And I was like, this is kind of, I don't know. I felt like this is where I meant to be, uh, where I, it's hard to explain because I'm not really a spiritual person, but at the same time, this was, I, I can't, I don't know what else to call it because it really felt like my body and my mind and uh, something was just connecting and I was like this run is not hard this run is fun and I'm like I'm for the first time in my life really 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 happy with where I am and I was uh yeah I was just bawling people were driving by on their motorbikes looking at me like I'm a crazy person because I was like I'm a bigger a bigger dude for a runner um, because I've been lifting for so long and they just saw this guy like 
bawling his eyes out on the side of the road with sweat, no shirt on. And I just, it was a, uh, uh, I can't think of the word. It was just a very cleansing kind of moment, you know? I like that cleansing. I, yeah. I, I think of the word um, elation when I get to that point in running, you know, yeah. you feel elated. Yeah. yeah I think I, I would say that's what it is. And I don't know what this, like what the runner's high is or, or anything like that, but I would say that's what I was experiencing maybe for the first time it could be um, because I was, I was running and I was just beaming with smiles. And then uh, I had to stop because I just couldn't stop crying <laughs> and just crying just because I was happy for probably the first time in my life. It was amazing. Yeah. I love that. I, I wish I could get to that point on every run, but it, it just reality is unfortunately that not all runs are like that. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but you, you hope that's what you hope for, right? Or at least you know how you're going to feel after the run. Exactly. And at that point I knew that, that I'm going to be running for most likely the rest of my life or until my legs give out. Because that was like, running was no longer difficult. It was, it was amazing. It was just, it's like the fact that my body can do this after, I guess, after almost dying. I, I, it's, uh, yeah, I, I still get a little bit choked up just even thinking about that training run. That, like, I just know that I'm going to be running for a while. <laughs> That's wonderful. I love it. And you have another race uh, scheduled, don't you? Yeah, so I had one. I had a full marathon scheduled for the end of August and because um, COVID has kind of come back now in Vietnam, um, it's got, it's got postponed to the end of November. And then I had an ultra. uh, So I'm a bit ambitious, I guess. Um, I had an, I had an ultra scheduled for October and after the marathon in August, which is I think a little bit ridiculous, a 70 kilometer uh, trail marathon. So, that's got pushed back to next year. So actually that hasn't been, that hasn't been postponed yet, but now that I kind of know a bit more about running, I'm, I'm going to defer my race to next year because I, I definitely need more training for the ultra, mm -hmm. but um, my marathon is pushed to uh, sometime in November now. Yeah. And the, and the uh, marathon is also in Hanoi. Yeah. It starts at midnight, which is really neat. And you kind of run, it's called run into the light. And so it just kind of, I guess, depending on your time, the sun comes up as you finish. So that's awesome. I also yeah. loved uh, the theme of your ultra, right? It's that one's not in Hanoi or outside of Hanoi, correct? Yeah, that's a, that's called the jungle marathon. So that's really cool. Um, you're kind of just running through small villages and and up and down these huge mountains. And uh, I just a couple of weeks ago, I realized like I, my legs are not there yet. My body's not there yet. Even if I train now until the end of October, it's, I don't think I'm going to be ready for it. So I think it's smart to postpone that. Yeah. I think, you know, you have to be, have a smart balance between ambition and listening to your body. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I just got super motivated and I was like, okay, I can, I'm going to sign up for all the races that I can. And then I realized like, Hey, okay take it easy. <laughs> That's good. But you know, at the same time, you know, you knowing that you will be able to do it and that you find joy in doing these things. And, you know, just looking back on how you got there. I just love your story. I think it, 
it is so indicative of what running can do to one's mental health and physical health, obvious, obviously, but, um, you know, in many people's cases, it's the mental health that, that plays a huge role when they start running. And they make, yeah. as you said, that transition from when running is really, really hard to just this release. Yeah, definitely. This like kind of stress release. And um, it's just, I think also as an addict, it's like, uh, I don't know what it is about addicts and running, but there's something, there's some correlation there that I don't know if anyone's really studied or, or what, but there is a, something to do with trading an unhealthy addiction for a healthy addiction. I mean, I don't want to call running an addiction, but you know, I, I have to run now. So it's kind of like, it's, um, you can, I, I do, I call it an addiction. And I think, um, from what I've sort of learned as far as, you know, this, the quitting smoking part, it's, it's the dopamine that you get from running, you know? Right. And, um, I don't know how it works with alcohol, but I'm sure, you know, you're doing some sort of endorphin replacement with drinking. So when you stop drinking, you have to do something else to replace that endorphin influx. So the endorphins from running is what I think people seek when they're looking to replace something that's missing in their life, whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, alcohol was kind of numbing that for me. Running is kind of uh, awoken it. I guess in me. I don't know how to explain it really, but it's uh it's powerful whatever it is. Yeah, and positive. So yeah, you know, as long as it's positive, let's just focus on that and let's keep the momentum. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, as I said, love your story. I'd love to ask you a few questions in closing. So what has been your proudest moment in life inside and outside of running? Okay, so the proudest moment i think in running my proudest moment was definitely the, the that half marathon race um because those last i would say 20 minutes or four kilometers or so that was difficult and setting that that goal and 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 achieving the goal like crossing the finish line and looking at my watch that was and i looked up and my girlfriend was there and she was you know she was beaming and she didn't know that i had beat my time but it's kind of that personal goal that you get that you set for yourself and you know nobody really would have cared if i had stopped and you know like it's it's just a an individual goal for yourself and that's that was i was extremely extremely happy with myself when i when i ran that 157 and outside of running i guess um i did a lot of thinking about this and i think and i've done a lot of thinking about this kind of over the past few months and I think just being where I am today uh, I'm extremely proud of myself like I just my overall fitness and my outlook on life and my mental health it's really I mean I'm, I'm 27 years old but it's it's leagues above where I was when I was 20 20 and 22 and and especially as a kid so you know it's I'm just proud of myself right now yeah I I would say that's definitely something to be proud of and you know you caught it before it could have really gotten out of control or even killed you yeah definitely you know and you have you're 
not even 30 yet, meaning you have, you've changed your life in this, in your twenties, where usually people screw up their lives in their twenties, right? Yeah. You completely turned it around so that now the rest of your life, you can take the bull by the horns. You can do whatever you want, you know? Yeah. And I can always kind of look back and I'm, I'm very grateful that I was able to catch it as early as I did. Cause I know some people, a lot of people don't get that opportunity. So, so I'm extremely grateful. Definitely. So somewhat related, what are some of the most important lessons you learned from running since you started, which is not that long ago, but it sounds like you've had some important lessons there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say the first lesson that I learned is just slow down. Um, I, I, I went out the gate way too ambitious and way too, you know, I was trying to put in half marathons in training for the half marathon and I had some like IT band issues and Achilles tendon issues and it really took me out of training. So like the, the actual half marathon was, was really difficult. So, and I could have had a lot more training had I not been so ambitious, you know? So I guess slow down and just be humble. Um, You know, the more humble you are, the more, I guess, accessible running is. I don't know. It was, it was so, easy to get caught up in oh i can run a half marathon on a whim i might as well just run 20 kilometers this day 20 kilometers but no it's not it's not like that at all yeah and i think one more is uh from that book from finding ultra uh, i think rich roll is kind of i listen to his podcast all the time and he's a big kind of a, I guess a mentor that i've never met <laughs> but he's a big mentor and he's he says or his coach says the, the prize never goes to the fastest guy. It goes to the person who slows down the least. And that's kind of falls in line with just, just take it easy. Yeah, definitely. Listen to your body is all I can say, you know? Yeah, like, definitely. I, I feel like when I'm tired or I'm achy, then even though I'm on this, this run streak, you know, and I've, I tell myself I have to run every day, no, I'm not going to run today. I'm just going to walk, you know, or I'm going to yeah. take a spin class instead or whatever. But um, you definitely have to listen to your body because if you don't, then, and you injure yourself, then you have no idea how long you'll be out. So it's kind of like that Russian roulette idea. Do that one more run. You don't know how long it's going to take you to recover. It's just so hard to tell yourself, okay, it's, it's all right to take a rest day or something. You know, it's, yep. it's a difficult, uh, difficult path. I, I, I relate completely. So I like that. I like that lesson because I don't think I've heard that from any of my other guests um, in the way you put it. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. Last question. What would you tell someone who says I can or I will never run or running is for crazy people? <laughs> um, I would say maybe some of us are a bit crazy, <laughs> but um no, I I would say don't knock it till you try it, till you seriously try it. Because I think a lot of people go out for a 2K or a 3K run and they hate it and they hate their body and they, they feel achy. But nobody comes back from a run and regrets running, I feel like. So I guess, yeah, I would just tell people you really got to give it a go, like a, a proper go. And... um 
but definitely some of us are a bit crazy that, <laughs> that like to run. Um, as well, I would say you can't really change someone if they don't want to change. So, you know, if somebody says they're never going to run, that's their, that's their opinion. And in, in my, like, you know, somebody told me not to drink when I was 20, I would have said, go away. Or I would have said something worse probably. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, so you can't really force anyone to do anything they don't want to do. But at the same time, uh, if, if more people just got out there and, or at least put their shoes on and tried to move a bit more, I think the world would be a much calmer place. Amen. I couldn't agree more. I, <laughs> I know about myself and if I, you know, I, I try to find change in myself before I, you know, put it on to anybody else, yeah. but I know how I am when I run. And if I can be less impatient or less frustrated or less irritated just from a 20 minute run, then why doesn't everybody do that? You know, exactly. It's, it's baffling how it's, uh, I guess how far we've come from, from the days when everybody did run, but, um, you know, I, and I just got into it recently, so I can't really say too much, but it is, uh, then sing, I would say it's the single best just healer overall healer for anybody. Yeah, no, I agree. And anxiety and, and everything. Yeah. It doesn't matter how long you've done it, but you've got, you know, it took me years to get to where you got as far as the mental state goes. Um, mm. And, and so it, you got there in, in just a few months. And so you can talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really super grateful that my body is still able to do it and it won't stop. Yeah. I believe you. Well, Jake, it was a, pleasure speaking with you thank you for um dialing in from all the way across the world <laughs> i really enjoyed speaking with you and, and getting your story and it's very inspiring especially for people who are potentially just on you know the beginning path or the beginning stages of running because they'll listen to you and say hey he's only doing, been doing this for a couple months and he got there this quickly so thank you yeah. for sharing Thank you so much for the opportunity. I just, uh, I hope somebody can take something away from this and maybe go for a run. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Jake. Well, you have a great night. I know it's about 10 p.m. at your end of the planet. So yes, yes. <laughs> thank you for your time and we'll keep in touch. I want to hear about that jungle marathon for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this uh, opportunity. I'm really grateful. Yeah, I'm it. grateful to you. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jake as much as I did. He has really been able to dig deep in recent years, and I am so happy that he has found happiness in exercise and especially most recently in running. He is a true inspiration for all of you who are just starting your transformation journey. You can get there sooner than you think. Trust me. If you've had challenges or obstacles in your life that you have conquered by getting into running, we would love to hear your story. To enter, just email us at quitxstartrunning at gmail.com or leave us a voice message with a brief introduction and an overview of your story. We look forward to receiving your submissions. Some final wrap-up notes before we go. In case you're looking for me in other corners of the World Wide Web, the best way to find me is on Facebook and Instagram under my name, Antonia De Heinrich. That is A-N-T-O-N-I-A-D-E-H-E-I 
N-R-I-C-H, and on the I Quit X and started running Facebook page. To subscribe to this podcast, simply go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whichever your favorite podcast listening platform may be. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I look forward to welcoming you to my next episode on Monday, August 17th. Until then, my friends, quit whatever you're doing and start running.